You may have done absolutely everything right. You have checked all the boxes. At the end of the day, the decision was based on who is the best fit for the organization. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. As you began your firefighting career, all you had to do to promote was get a high enough test score. If you didn't score well, you studied harder and took the test again. But once you get to a certain level, tests are no longer the deciding factor. The criteria becomes much more subjective. So, what if you're passed over for a promotion? That's our topic today. My guest is Matthew Tobia. He's an assistant chief with Loudoun County, Virginia Fire and Rescue. He's got just shy of three decades of emergency services experience, and he's active with the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And Matt Tobia joins me now to talk about what to do when they say no thanks. Welcome to Code 3, Matt. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for giving me an opportunity to, to spend some time with you and to talk about a topic that's clearly important to our to our service. Well, I'm happy to do it. When do we typically reach that point where the test results no longer make the difference? So a lot of that really depends on the size of the organization. You know, in uh, smaller organizations, there are often instances where the chief has a lot more flexibility in making the decision about who to promote. In large organizations, metropolitan uh, fire departments, typically that have 400 or more members, it's much more rigid. And you might not see that discretion come until you get above the level of battalion chief. There are rare instances where the testing goes all the way through the chief of department because it's a civil service driven position. However, in most cases, what you're finding is that there's a lot of flexibility depending on the size of the organization. For example, I know of at least one organization where the company elects the chief only, and then all of the subordinate officers below that level are selected by the chief, which gives the chief tremendous discretion to form a team that they want to be around them in leading the organization. But I've also seen uh, instances where, again, it, it goes all the way through the, the testing process is rigid and goes all the way through the chief of department. I think the thing to be aware of is to know within your own organization at what point that interview process really becomes uh, kind of a critical factor. When you get in the room, that's where you're going to have that opportunity to make that tremendous influence. Is there a difference between union and non-union shops? Sure. Oftentimes what you see are that uh, collective bargaining agreements may often define the policies and procedures guiding the promotional processes. 
and you will find to a greater or lesser extent the impact of those collective bargaining agreements. Some collective bargaining agreements, for example, do give the rule of of three, which is an example of one way for a chief to have some flexibility. So, for example, a group of individuals take a lieutenant's test. They score one, two, and three on the test. The chief has the discretion to interview the top three candidates and can pick from any one of those top three candidates. That's where being prepared becomes so critical because you may not have scored top on the exam, but your ability to convince the chief that you're the best candidate for the position can make all the difference in the world. In those states that are considered right-to-work states, there oftentimes are not collective bargaining agreements, and so the policies and procedures are driven by perhaps the Human Resources Department or within the fire department itself. In your experience, is it common for, say, the number three candidate to interview well enough to be hired over the number one testing candidate? You know, that's an interesting question, Scott. Uh, I have seen some uh, individuals who have scored extremely well on the written test and then flamed out in the interview process, um, either because they weren't prepared or because they had not practiced or because they simply weren't able to articulate that they were the best candidate for the job. And there's a, there's a whole discussion that we could have on just the process of interviewing for a position and what it means to be prepared for that opportunity. But what you really see is that preparation pays off. So I have seen instances where the number one candidate who scored well on a test did not ultimately get selected for the position. I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole here, but I was fascinated by something you said a second ago. You said practicing for the interview. How important is that? You know, I don't think there's any way to possibly overstate that, to tell you the truth, Scott. I think individuals who truly want to do well in the interview process take the time to write out their oral resume to practice that oral resume, and to practice answering questions that are available all over the internet. In today's world, there is very rarely going to be a question that is asked that isn't already available to a, a candidate. And you know, candidates should certainly take the time to look at those questions and think about the answers so that they're not surprised when they get in the room. Interestingly enough, uh, I'll just give you a quick example. One of the most common examples uh, of a question that I think trips people up, trips firefighters up and, and even company officers and sometimes chief officers, is if I were to ask your coworkers how they view you, what would they say? And that's, that's an interesting question to be prepared to answer because it requires a, a level of introspection and awareness that most folks are not necessarily cognizant of or aware of. Which I suppose is the point of asking the question in the first place. Exactly, exactly. So let's say I want to become a deputy chief or an assistant chief. Are ratings like EFO and CFO as important as people think they are to getting that promotion? You, you know, Scott, they really are extremely important, and I'll tell you why. Because... It helps get you into the room. There is an expectation 
of investment in yourself and courses like the EFO program and designations like CFO not only demonstrate a personal commitment to your own professional development, but they also reflect an independent analysis of your body of work and an affirmation that what you have done in your time in the fire service has made a difference and is worthy of that designation as a, as a chief fire officer. Now, neither of those programs or courses are going to guarantee you the position. Similarly, going to the Harvard Kennedy School of Leadership is not going to guarantee you that position, but it most assuredly gets you an opportunity to get into the room. So those are, those are big deal things. The other thing to remember is that unto themselves, those programs are incredibly valuable because as you go higher in organizations, as you compete for deputy chief or assistant chief or even chief of department, the number of individuals who you can rely on to provide you with sage counsel and be honest with you decreases. And yet the importance of those individuals is all the more critical. I have made two what I consider to be lifelong friends as a result of participating in the, in the EFO program. And that cohort-style program can pay huge dividends for you regardless of whether you uh, get promoted or don't get promoted. Okay, so we're going into the process We know that a given chief has specific wants or needs. What's the best way to know what those are when he when he comes time to interview you? How do you know how to promote what he wants in you? So I think a really good question for candidates to be prepared to ask a chief either in the interview or before the interview process is even announced is what does success look like? What, what does success look like to you, Chief? If, if I were selected for this position, what would, you know, a year from now, if we were sitting together, what would that look like to you? And then being prepared, when, when the Chief gives you an answer, be prepared to indicate how your education, experience, uh, and training dovetail into helping you help him or her reach that goal. So if if I hear you correctly, you're saying not only to ask the chief outright, but then to answer with what assets you may have right then to sort of prime the chief for later interviews, something like that? Exactly. That's exactly right. I think it's an opportunity. Certainly when you're in the interview, it's critical to be able to advocate for yourself. The, The reality is that the person who you're competing against isn't going to come into the room and tell the chief what a great person you are uh, when they themselves are looking for the position. So you have to be prepared to advocate for yourself uh, and speak about your accomplishments. I think as much as anything, what chiefs are looking for and what city managers are looking for are results-driven individuals, not just individuals who are dedicated to their own professional development, although that's incredibly important, not just individuals who are diverse and who, you know, bring a body of uh, diverse experience to the table, but who are results-oriented. What have you accomplished in your time in the fire service? 
how are you leaving the fire service better than you found it? So for, for people who are getting in the room, I think it's important to know to the greatest extent possible what the chief may be looking for. But at the same time, you don't want to second guess that. So the best way to address that question is to just ask, just ask that question. What do you, you know, what does success look like to you, chief? I'll be back with more right after this. Every day, you put your life on the line to protect our families, friends, communities, cities, and our nation. Federal Resources knows the dangers you encounter daily. Whether it's fire, hazmat, or the more recent opioid threats, we're here to support you, protect you, and help train you for your next mission. You're looking out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Federalresources.com. All right, let's say the candidate does at least most of the stuff you're suggesting, and he or she is still passed over. What can they do to try to get in in future openings? So, you know, Scott, that's a, nobody ever likes to, to hear the word no. Uh, you know, when you've, when you've worked hard and you've tried and you've put in a tremendous amount of uh, time, energy, and effort, and you ultimately are not selected, that could be a, hard, a very hard thing to hear. But Vince Lombardi says, when you get knocked down, you, you get back up again. I think that's, uh, that's uh, critical here. You competed for the position. You got in the room. You may have gotten to the, the final round. And I think the first most important thing to understand and remember is that at that point, it's all about fit. And it needs to be a fit both for the individual who is being asked to promote as well as for the individual who is doing the promoting. Are you saying then that the fit is what it is, or is that something you can change or change their perception of? I think that's, I think fit is what is ascertained during that interview process and what they're trying to figure out. They're making a judgment during the selection process, even, even for chief of department, relatively little time is spent between the candidate and the individual who's doing the selection and what they're trying to figure out as quickly as they can and with probing questions is, is this someone I can work with? Is this someone who is going to be a good fit on our team? Some teams are very driven only by results. Some teams are driven by the positive relationships that are needed in order to get to the results. Some teams are driven by collaboration, while other teams are driven by individual effort. And so given the fact that you know teams can come in a variety of forms, it's important to realize that you may or may not be the right fit for that team, and you may not want to be a part of that team. If you go for the promotional process, particularly in an organization that you have not been a part of in the past, and you find that that particular team puts a very high value on results, but not on personal relationships to collaborate, then that may inform a particular type of personality to, to match that, whereas the, you know, the converse is true. So not only are they interviewing you, but you're interviewing them. I say all that simply to inform the, you know, the listeners that you may have done absolutely everything right 
you have checked all the boxes. At the end of the day, the decision was based on who is the best fit for the organization. So that informs the second thing, which is really follow-up. If there is any opportunity whatsoever to speak with the hiring manager uh, or the hiring representative to get post-interview feedback, I would absolutely encourage that you take full advantage of that. Be respectful, be polite, indicate how appreciative you are of having had the opportunity to uh, participate in the process, and further indicate that you're looking for any feedback that could help you continue on your journey of personal and professional development. And I assume that the correct response to that feedback is never to argue with them. Correct. That, that's exactly correct. You know, if you're, if you're asking the question, you have to be prepared to receive the answer. And you should be open and prepared to hear it, regardless of what it may be. Listen carefully, take good notes, and then thank them for their time. And, and if you're frustrated by the responses that you get, set it aside and come back to it later. But make sure you come back to it. In my experience, if you're not satisfied with the responses, then you didn't give them the right material to work with from your end. Right. And, you know, I, it's interesting. You know, I had a, uh, I had a, I was aware of a case where an individual who on paper was clearly the most qualified candidate came into the interview and spent 20 minutes talking about everything except their pertinent experience in the position. And they didn't even realize that they had failed to do so until after the interview was concluded, they weren't selected and they asked for the feedback. So the feedback was provided and they were stunned to find out that they had, that they had just missed it. They had literally just failed to talk about the most important thing. So, you know, the most important aspect of their professional development. You know, you have to acknowledge the fact that even Babe Ruth, who is in the Hall of Fame, struck out nearly seven out of every 10 times they got up to the plate. So you have to be acknowledge the, the possibility. Maybe you just had a bad day. You know, in a way, it sounds like a variation on the phrase, it's not what you know, it's who knows you. Is that true? I think that is important. And I think what you're real I think what you're what you're getting to is what is your reputation? Because your reputation is gonna precede you everywhere you go. Absolutely everywhere you go. And it, it's the fire service. The, the, it is said that we are the biggest family in the world, and that's true. Uh, there is no seven degrees of separation in the fire service. There's about two degrees of separation in the fire service. And so it doesn't take long for someone in the fire service to make one or at the maximum two phone calls and find out everything they need to know about you. And that reputation is, a, is something that you should guard with your very life. So there's a couple of other things I wanna just mention uh, with regard to uh, you know, being passed over. Some real, some real specific things that you can do. Number one, get involved. Uh, if you've been a company officer riding a fire engine and you have that's all you've ever done in your entire career time in grade is not necessarily going to be the 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 thing that helps you get promoted so if there are opportunities to serve on committees participate in initiatives lead projects write new policies and procedures those 
Those are demonstrated concrete actions that, that can be taken. Uh, the second thing is, uh, you know, is go to school. Don't ever look past an opportunity to get into educational opportunities and look for those educational opportunities that are going to stretch you. In other words, that are going to be a challenge to you. Going to going to task level training, uh, learning, you know, maximizing your skills in how to in how to use a Halligan bar. It may be incredibly satisfying personally, but from a strategic level, I'm not the guy who you want on the end of a Halligan bar. I'm the guy who's ensuring that the Halligan bars are purchased for the department and are where they need to be. You tell me what you need. I make sure you have it. And that's the difference between task training and strategic training. The third thing is to get into a staff position. Now, this one's tough because this one takes you away from that which drew you into the fire service in the first place, which is providing service to the citizens. And, and all of us are, are continue to be driven by that in our hearts. But getting into a staff position means having the opportunity to learn infinite amounts about the organization, which will yield tremendous opportunities for you when you do get back in the room for that next promotional opportunity. And just just to be clear, by staff position, you mean? So a, a staff position is typically a position where, you know, you might come off of a fire engine or off of a ladder company, go into headquarters, and as a company officer, work on on various areas of the fire department at a company officer level. What that does is, as a junior officer, it puts you way up in the conning tower of the decision-making process, even though you would normally not ever be there. Really cool opportunities. So, for example, in my department, we have captains who are working in the human resources department, captains who are working in our logistics and facilities department, captains who are working in health and safety. So those areas give you the opportunity to learn more about the organization and your impact on it than you can ever get from riding the right front seat of a fire engine. That is some very good advice, and I want to thank you for being a guest on Code 3 today. Mad Tobia, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much, Scott. Please let me know and keep doing what you're doing. And we put some more information on our website at code3podcast.com slash promote. Check it out. Are you ready for your trivia question? These days, live TV news reports are commonplace. In fact, they're a waste of airtime in most cases, but that's my opinion. The question is, when was the very first one, and what did it show? I'll have the answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. Here's the trivia answer. The first television live shot was a fire on Ward's Island in New York City in November 1938. An NBC mobile unit happened to be working in a swimming pool just across the river 
and they turned the camera onto the flames and got some live pictures. And that started today's trend of live shots. At least something was happening in that one. How many have you seen in front of a dark building saying, there'll be a meeting here in four hours? Yeah, that's what I thought. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more and maybe some more opinions. I'm Scott Oren. Until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.